0: Welcome again everybody, it's good to see you this weekend and all watching online all over the world. Thanks for joining us and uh, everybody at Montrose, uh, thanks for being here as well. We started a, a new series last weekend called Disrupt the Default and uh, what we started talking about was this idea that we all have defaults in our lives. We all have patterns or thoughts or ideas that we have locked onto and they become the things we default Back to. They start to feel like home or feel normal or feel natural to us. And we will often, when we're in a crisis or we're moving through life or making decisions or figuring stuff out, we will simply revert to those things because it's almost like a muscle memory. Like it's just become the way that we normally do things. Heidi and I uh, and the kids recently, we took the kids with us. We tried to leave them, but it's illegal. Uh, but we recently moved. And uh, when we moved, it, w- it was funny. When you've lived one place a long, long time, and you like go home from the office, you just kinda go on automatic pilot, right? And You just kinda go to that spot. When we moved, and I can't tell you how many times I drove to the old house and we pulled in and I think the people we sold it to think that I'm creepy or something because I'm just sitting in what used to be my driveway because I wasn't thinking. It's like, oh, you just turned there, turn there. That's a default, like you just go to it. You're just not thinking, you're not really trying, you're just so used to it that it's what you go back to and we all have them. Uh, We were raised in families, we were raised in culture, Uh, some of us were raised in religion. And things that we heard or thought were normal or natural, they just become a part of who we are. And what will happen is those things will kind of start to govern our lives. That happens to us spiritually. Like we will hear things and those things will be repeated and they'll become our default position, and we'll kind of stop thinking about whether they're right or wrong, correct or incorrect. We'll just assume that's who God is and what he's like. And we talked a little bit last week in things like, uh, I, I have to earn my way to heaven, like, I have to be, be, be a good enough person and score enough Jesus points to outscore my negative points so that somehow at the end of time, I win that competition, I go into heaven. Many of us believe that we were raised that way. Even if somebody said it's not true, we still function with God that way. So when something happens in our life, we'll think, well, I must have done something. You know, the car didn't start. I must have not said my prayers today. Right? It's our default, it's where we'll go back to. Uh, a, a big one that, that we struggle with is I have to have my life cleaned up before God wants to interact with me. And that that's why we think, like, if I go to church, it'll burn down. Like, we'll, we'll think that way, and so we have, we'll, we'll work at, like, straightening our, our life out so that we can go to God, so He can straighten our life out, right? But we'll think, we were taught that. God doesn't want to interact with you. You do the taboo thing, you got a problem, you're the, see, we'll, we'll do that, that a lot. And I said last week, the one that is probably the, the biggest one right now is that God doesn't even remember me or know me or care about me. He's out there somewhere, I'm not opposed to him, but why would he care about or be tied into my life? And so we'll go through life thinking that God is a higher power or that he's like this cosmic force and not really lock into the power and the wonder that he's a personal God who knows me, wants to walk with me, and wants to change my life, right? But it, we don't mean to. We're not having an attitude. It's just our default. We're just driving home and pulled in our old driveway, right? And, it, and it, it's, we're, we're wired that way, and we think that way. Now, here's, here's the premise of our conversation. Jesus, by his nature, is a disruptor. So if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus or if you want your life to be different than it is right now, Jesus by his nature is a disruptor. He disrupts defaults. He did it all the time. He disrupted political defaults, religious defaults. And then lots and lots of personal defaults. That person's a tax collector. That person's a prostitute. Unworthy of God. Hate it. I love you. I accept you. I want to connect with you. That person's a Samaritan. Oh, I love you. I accept you. I want to connect with you. That person's a self-righteous Pharisee named Nicodemus. I love you. I accept you. I want to connect with you. He would disrupt the defaults all the time. And if you're going to be a Christ follower, this is gonna become a normal, natural part of your life. Jesus is gonna speak into your life. He's gonna speak into places that you probably maybe never even thought about before, but he has something to say, a truth to bring to that, and it's going to cause a disruption. And what we do with that disruption and how we embrace or reject that disruption winds up being the things that define and direct our lives, all right? So I wanna take you to to this idea again this weekend. And by the way, last weekend's conversation is all online, it's on the app, you can grab that, listen to it if you want. This weekend I wanna kinda advance this conversation and I wanna show you two statements that Jesus made which are incredibly disruptive because they're gonna speak into something that is a deep, deep default in humanity. This isn't just Akron or North America, this is humanity from the beginning of time. And he's gonna speak into these struggles in our life. And he's gonna disrupt the places that we find our certainty. He's gonna disrupt our concept of authority. And he's gonna disrupt where we tend to draw worth. And so these two statements are gonna speak into that. And then I'll show you how this this disrupts us and a struggle that we all have. And then we'll talk about how to embrace that and come out the other side of it. Okay, so here's the two, the two statements that I want us to get our head around a little bit. The first one comes from Matthew chapter three. So Jesus is is gonna do one of his big main teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts in Matthew chapter five. And he's gonna, he's gonna kind of get into this a little bit. And one of the first things he says in this, in Matthew chapter five, is one of these disruptive statements. And he says this, he said, "'God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is there. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him because the kingdom of heaven is there. Now, he's not really talking about money here. He's talking about spiritual poverty. You kind of have to see the context of it. So he's talking about a spiritual poverty. So what he says is this, bless are people who are poor. They're, they have a spiritual poverty and they recognize that. Now what we're taught in our culture and what everybody's been taught in every culture, there's nothing new under the sun, it just shows up in a different way in in different places. But human beings are generally taught that they are not poor spiritually, we are generally taught that we are spiritually wealthy. So we would look and say, I, I have high esteem. I am going to find my truth, and I am going to live my truth. I need to create my best life now. I'm a good person who has good intentions, and sometimes I just make bad decisions. And so I'm a good person who sometimes makes bad decisions. And that would be the general default that we're taught. You're going to learn that on TikTok. You're going to learn that on Instagram. You're going to learn that in school. Your, your mommy probably said that to you. Like you're a good person and you just make bad decisions. Jesus comes in in another part of the Bible and he would say, actually, that's not true. Like everybody says that's true. That's actually not true. And the fact that you think that it is true is the source of a lot of your problems. Actually, the Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked. Actually, the Bible says I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful person, and my sinfulness and my selfish ambition and my self-centeredness is what causes me to make the decisions that I make. And that's, why, that's what causes tension, because I want something and I can't get it, so I fight with other people to get it. Jesus comes in and he says, when you recognize that, You recognize that you are spiritually impoverished. I can't overcome my own sin. I am the source of my problems. I am responsible. I am willful. I lie to myself. And that's how I justify and rationalize and try to make things that are not okay, okay, because I didn't really mean it. And Jesus says, when you recognize your dependence on God and your need for God and your inability to like fix yourself spiritually, when you are poor and you realize that need, what you are is you are perfectly positioned for the kingdom of heaven. And God wants to meet the spiritual poverty by giving you what he calls the kingdom of heaven. That's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's the kingdom of heaven? We got to talk about this for a second, because the Bible will talk about this a bunch. Jesus talks about this a bunch. He'll talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, or sometimes he says the kingdom, right? So what is this? This is my definition of the kingdom. Ready? You can write this down, but it's copyrighted. So I'm just saying, don't put it out there. Uh, There'll be lawsuits involved, right? So here's my definition of it, okay? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is this. It's a spiritual kingdom with tangible application, ruled by God and defining the certainty, authority and worth of the Christ follower and ultimately humanity as a whole. So when the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven, It's saying there's a spiritual kingdom, and that spiritual kingdom reigns over everything, the earth, the heavens, and my life and your life. And God rules that spiritual kingdom. That spiritual kingdom is real, and it's spiritual, but it has tangible application. So in the kingdom, we forgive as we've been forgiven. In the kingdom, we love as we've been loved. In the kingdom, we help the poor. In the kingdom, God blesses us. In the kingdom, God helps us. In the kingdom, God created the church to love each other. It has tangible applications, but it's a spiritual kingdom. It's ruled by God, and it defines where the certainty, the authority, and the worth of a Christ follower comes from. So my security comes from the fact that my God rules the kingdom. The certainty comes from the fact that my God God is the authority in that kingdom. I'm yielding to him above anybody else in all other earthly kingdoms. My worth comes from the fact that I'm invited into the kingdom as a Christ follower. Now I'm a child of God. That's where my worth comes from. So it defines my worth, my value, my authority and my certainty, and ultimately all of humanity is is subject to this. So the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the kingdom of God is the kingdom and authority and and certainty and and worth come from him. What we do now as Christ followers is we help people who don't know that know that, right? Right? So Jesus looks then and he says, listen, I, I want to I help you with this. You've been taught that if you find your own truth, you find your own value, you become your own authority and you create your own security or certainty. If you do that, you're rich. And he looks and says, actually, you're not. If you're spiritually poor and realize your value must be given to you, your worth must be given to you, certainty must be given to you, and authority is given to you, people who recognize that the kingdom of heaven is, they're operating within the kingdom of heaven the way that the kingdom of heaven was meant to be operated in. And they'll be blessed for that, right? Huge disruptive statement, right? Blessed are the poor. Right, who recognize their need for God because the kingdom of heaven, that's exactly what it takes to inherit and to participate in the kingdom of heaven. So that's the first disruptive statement. Now the second disruptive statement is this. The second disruptive statement comes from the book of Luke chapter six, same conversation Jesus is having with the same group of people in the Bible. And this is what he says, it's recorded this way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich for you have your happy, you, you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. So he looks and he says, Okay, you're blessed if you're poor, but that's directly against your default. Nobody ever taught you that. You think if you want happiness and value and worth of certainty, you wanna be rich. I'm letting you know that if you're rich, Sorrow awaits because the only happiness that you're going to have is the happiness that you have on earth. The kingdom of heaven, right, is not going to be something that your heart is is painted for or, taint, or, or, or uh, pointed at, okay? So these two big statements, that you're blessed if you're poor in spirit or you're poor spiritually and if you're rich... I'm letting you know that sorrow awaits you. Now, why would he say rich? Because it's not really a financial conversation. If you want to have like a clear view of Jesus' view on finances, you want to read Matthew chapter 6. So what's he saying? Because we're taught, our default is, if I can have riches, this is humanity. This is not just North America. If I can have riches, I can create my own certainty. I don't need God. I don't need to have security in God. I don't need blessing from God. I don't need help from God. I don't need provision from God. I have riches. If I have riches, I can create my own authority. You know the golden rule? The guy with all the gold makes the rules. So I have an authority. When I'm wealthy, people treat me different. They interact with me different. I say yes or no what I want to. I have a different authority. And if I have wealth, if I have riches, I draw value from it. The most important people are the rich people. The most powerful people are the rich people. The, 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 the best of the best, the, the, most, the most successful, the elite of the elite, the most highly educated are the rich people. And Jesus says, I be careful with that. I know you think that, and I know that you have been taught that that's worth investing your life in, but I want to let you know that sorrow awaits you. That's not going to work the way that you want it to work. It's certainly not going to work the way that you want it work to work on the other side of this mortal life, because you actually can't take it with you. And I'm letting you know that the the heart position that would look and say my value, my worth, my certainty, and my authority is self-achieved is the exact opposite position than saying I'm actually poor spiritually and I have a need for God and God must meet those needs for me. That person inherits the kingdom of God. Now, those two statements are massive. And they're completely disruptive. They're they're gonna speak into this idea of where we place our certainty, our authority, and our worth. And if you kind of pause and think about this for a moment, this idea of where I place my certainty, where I draw authority, and where I find my worth is core to our existence as human beings. We are taught that you find those things in yourself. The whole idea that I'm a self-made person, the whole idea that everybody has a number in their mind, if I had this much money, my life would be great. The whole idea that if I had this much money, my life would be secure. The whole idea that if I didn't have a boss, if I wasn't in trouble, if, if I could get out of my parents' house, this whole idea that if I was an authority unto myself, that's what real freedom is. And then the whole idea of worth. When I played varsity, see, now people will like me, love me. When I had the job, people will like me, love me. When I lived in the zip code, people will like me, love me. Where we draw our worth, where we draw our definition of a win, where we draw our definition of successes, it's all rooted in those default positions. And Jesus steps in and he says, be so careful. Be so careful. Because all your popularity leads you, leaves you when you graduate from high school. Nobody cares if you're popular or not. And if you still do, you're just Uncle Rico and everybody makes fun of you. Uh, that job that you sold your soul for, uh, they will step over your still warm dead body and replace you. That's the way that that will work. You buy your relationships, they will go away when you run out of money. That's the way that will work. And I'm, I'm telling you, sorrow awaits if you build your life off of that default and I wanna disrupt it. Blessed or happy are those who would act and function almost in the exact opposite way. The kingdom of God is where those needs are met and those needs are gonna be fulfilled and it's actually what you're longing for. But nobody has told you that before. Jesus Christ came to disrupt that, right? Now, here's where we struggle. Here's where we struggle. We're attracted, we're attached to the, we're attracted to the kingdom, but we are addicted to our defaults. We're attracted to the kingdom, but we're addicted to our defaults. So when I look at you and say, somebody will love you and somebody will accept you and somebody will believe for just who you are, We love that idea. But the idea of breaking away from what we know. If I told you there's freedom over here, freedom of shame, freedom from sorrow, freedom from all these things, freedom of regret, there's freedom over here. We like, oh, I love that idea of freedom. But I know this world. I know how to function in my dysfunction. And I love the idea that God could set me free from it, but this feels like home. And what I believe and what I've seen over the years is that struggle is real. And that struggle is something that every one of us fight against and push against and fight through. What I said is this, every one of us has a a, a personal line, a personal line where we look and say, I will pursue the kingdom of God and I will trust God and I will believe in God to this point in my life. But after this point, this is the point where I'm gonna go back to my defaults. I'll let my default be stretched. I'll let it be moved. I'll let it be questioned. But this is where if I cross this line, I have to surrender to the kingdom of God and to Jesus' direction definition, and I'm not sure that I'm ready to do that. And so we'll hold on to these parts of our life. And I think we do that for several reasons. For some of us, it's a lack of knowledge. Nobody has ever said that God can help you or that God can heal you or that God can change you or set you free. You never knew this. First time you ever heard this in your life. And the idea that there's a different way to live, there's a, a a different base of truth, there's a different thing to pursue is something that you've never heard. Wait a minute, you're saying there's there's a different path to happiness? I thought the secret of happiness was that you got ahead and you finally you know, sold what you're trying to sell and you got the house, you got the car and that's how you made your children happy. I thought that that's what I was told. And the idea that like, it doesn't have to work that way. It doesn't have to work that way. That God can bring about happiness and God can bring about healing and God can bring about change. But that path is in the kingdom of heaven. That there, in order for that to take place, there's a New authority, a new definition of certainty, and a new place that you glean worth from. And it has almost nothing to do with this over here. Most of the world doesn't know that. Why would they? It doesn't show up anywhere. And you, you, it's not going to be on TikTok. It's not going to be on the gram. It, it does, that's not what you go to school to get a good job so you can get ahead, so you can live a comfortable life. The whole system is set up that way. So it's brand new information that there's this new thing. And the reason that you have such a strong line in your life where you look and say, I, I could be in on the higher power thing. Uh, I could be in on, on the spirituality thing. I could be on the life health balance thing. But to walk away from this, that doesn't even make sense to me. I've never heard of it before. So we stay on our line because of that. Another big reason why we stay on our line, honestly, is because of rebellion. Some of us know about the kingdom of heaven, and we know about what the truths of the kingdom of heaven, and we know about God's definition of certainty, authority, and worth, and we just reject it. I I know that God says that you don't find security in earthly wealth, but I'm I'm not doing that. I know I know that God say, I know that God has authority in my life, quote unquote. But I I'm I'm going to do what I want to do and wherever Jesus would like to join me in my pursuit of my life, he's more than welcome. I I I know you're not supposed to draw your value from earthly things. But I, I have to get this promotion. I really don't, if I don't get, I won't feel like I succeeded or completed and I'll be the failure my dad always said that I was. And we'll know these things about the kingdom of God, but we won't allow our hearts to be impoverished. We're, we're not gonna recognize it or act on it. And it's just rebellion. But here's the reason I think that most of us stay on this side of the line, Ready? I think it's mostly fear. I think it's mostly fear that causes us not to grab hold of the worth that God wants to give us, the certainty he wants to give us, or to yield to his authority in our life. Because my default is familiar. And I've learned to function in my dysfunction Because I don't like this world, and I don't like my life, and I don't, but at least I know how to navigate it. But to try something new, to give up this control that I perceive that I have, that fear is overwhelming to me. Even though Jesus said it, I'm not sure I can function in it. And guys, let me tell you, right there, I think, is where the biggest tragedy lies. Right? Those of us who know, who long, and who won't. How will you ever know how God can heal and change and revive and rewire your family if you will never take your family across the line and live under the certainty, authority, and worth of the kingdom of heaven? How how would you ever experience the power of forgiveness in your life and the power of forgiving someone else? When you look and say, I know all about that, but the bitterness, the gossip, the rage, it's just how we live, it's how we function, what we talk about. How will you ever know that if you won't cross your personal line and allow yourself to be defined and directed by the kingdom of God? How will you ever know what it's like to be directed by the spirit of God through his word and all the wonder and the power and the mind-boggling stuff that happens when you live that way, if you look and say, no, 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 I have, if God, if you wanna bless what I'm doing, cool, the idea that I start living the way you want me to live, eh, how will you, unless you confess the sin, unless you step in the faith, unless you yield to the authority, the power and the wonder of the kingdom of heaven never plays out in your life because we all have a line and all or certain parts of our life, we look and say, this this is as far as I'm willing to go. I have a default and I'm just gonna go back to that default and try to run that program one more time and see if maybe it works. And we miss out on the wonder Of what God wants to do, the certainty that God wants to give, the the blessings of his authority, the richness of his worth, because somehow we've determined in our hearts that I would rather have what I know than step out on faith to interact with what God has promised to give me. See. I wrote it down this way. You can never realize the wealth of the kingdom until you realize the poverty of yourself. You can never realize the wealth of the kingdom until you realize the poverty of self. In this personal line in these unique areas of your life, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you don't care. And I think most of the time, I'm just afraid. I'm just afraid. See? Why am I afraid? Ready? Jesus said it. Because I have happiness now. I have happiness now. See, I don't. I don't. God's definition of sexual purity and sexual identity and sexual. I, I, I like this. I, this feels good. This feels now. God's definition of my finances, nah, I, I do what I want to do now. This idea of authority and maybe I have to do something I didn't want to, nah, I'm just going to do what I want to. And Jesus, this is, he's like, your, your only happiness is, is now, but sorrow awaits the kingdom is not a threat. It's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not like, you know what? You're going to kneel one day. You might as well do it now. It's not, it's not a threat. It's not a scolding. Are you so dumb that you don't see the kingdom? That's not what it is. It's a fact. It's a fact. And how I feel about the fact doesn't matter. It's sorrow is going to await. Heidi plays this little game where she sees how far she can go on a tank of gas. Anybody else play this game? And, and I, I, don't point, that's not nice. That's a, like the, right? She'll see how far she goes on a tank of gas. And I'm like, you're gonna run out of gas. And she, one time we're driving, I'm like, honey, you're gonna run out of gas. She goes, oh no. She goes, you can go past E. I'm like, what? And, and her, her thing is uh, digital. It says like this many miles until you're out of gas. So I'm like, honey, you're going to be out of gas in two miles. She goes, oh, you can go past that. I'm like, baby, I, I'm like, how far past? She goes, well, I don't know exactly how far. She's like, but you can go, I can tell you, you can go, you can go past that, right? Jesus isn't scolding. Honey, you're dumb. Honey, you're a pagan. He's like, you're gonna run out of gas, right? And I, when she gets, when she calls me, I'm like, well, baby, I told you. The Chrysler Corporation told you. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's not mad. He's talking to, and and he's talking to hundreds and hundreds of people. He's not mad. He's not screaming. He's not like, help, fire, Brim's going. He's looking at people he loves and saying, it doesn't work. It's never gonna work. And when you think it works and you decide that it's gonna work and you ignore, you're not recognizing your spiritual poverty. You're not going to pull this off. You're, You're not gonna wind up with the relationships you think. You're not going to wind up with the fulfillment you think. And it certainly isn't going to work the other side of this planet. Yeah, no. It goes past E. It goes past E. I think it's fascinating. He doesn't say, and if you live that way, you're going to be miserable. If you live that way, you're going to get, you're going to go bald. You're going to get transferred to Michigan. He, he's not, it's not what he's doing. He's like... You'll have happiness now, but it's not going to work. It's the only happiness you'll ever have. You go on vacation, it's fun, until the credit card comes in. You can go goof off at college, it's fun. I goofed off at college, it's fun. And the student loan showed up. You can eat pizza at every meal. but The 10 pounds come around. You have sushi all the time. There's actually no downside to that. Battle. <laughs> it's a bad <laughs> example, right? Sorrow awaits. And the kingdom, the kingdom is what I want to give you. Jesus disrupts us. And he's not an angry God scolding people he's mad at. He's a loving God looking at people that he loves, telling them a loving truth. And it's one we haven't heard before and one that we have a terrible time believing. Difficult time accepting. And he looks and says, actually, if you just saw your spiritual poverty if you could trust me and not yourself, if you believe me and not your culture, if you would lean into me and not your upbringing, if you were poor in spirit and recognize your need for me, all this stuff, it's what I want to give you. It's all yours, right? But you don't get there that way. You get there, right, you get there by allowing me to disrupt and following that truth, okay? All right, the band's gonna come out and uh, they'll have to rearrange the stage here a little bit. So would you pray with me as they settle in? Jesus, love you. Thank you for helping us with this, God. I, I find it amazing that a holy, righteous God is so loving and gracious and patient that you would teach us something you would show us what we would never think of on our own so thank you for doing that thank you for leaning into our world and loving us enough to tell us the truth about yourself and about life and the way that it works so jesus through your holy spirit enacting your word would you go to our line and would you press against our personal line and God would you lean into that spot that we have a terrible time maybe we didn't know or we're rebellious or we're just scared and would you convict us rebuke us or maybe just give us courage and faith and trust So that we can lean in, God, and take hold of what you paid such a high price to provide for us. In these moments, Jesus, would you do that?